Chapter Thirty of Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. Marie Antoinette and the Downfall of Royalty by Imbert Saint Amand. Translated by Elizabeth G. Martin. Chapter Thirty The Combat. What had taken place at the Tuileries after the departure of the royal family for the assembly? At the very moment when they abandoned this place, which they were never to see again, the Marseillais, the vanguard of the insurrection, were pounding at the gate of the principal courtyard, furious because it was not opened. A few minutes later, the column of the Faubourg Saint-Antoine, after passing through the Rue Saint-Honoré, debouched on the carousel. It was under the command of the Pole, Lazuski and Westermann, who directed it toward the gate of the royal court. As the Marseillais had not yet succeeded in forcing this, Westermann had it broken open. The cannoneers, whose business it was to defend the palace, at once declared on the side of the riot and turned their pieces against the Tuileries. With the exception of the domestics, there were now in the palace only 750 Swiss and about a 100 National Guards and a few nobles. The sole instructions the Swiss received came from old Marshal de Mailly. Do not let yourselves be taken. Louis the Sixteenth had said absolutely nothing on going away, and his departure discouraged his most faithful adherence. Add to this that the Swiss had not enough cartridges. What was to be the fate of this fine regiment, this corps d'élite, where everywhere and always had set the example of discipline and military honour, which ever since the revolution began, had haughtily repulsed every attempt to tamper with it, and whose red uniforms alone struck terror into the populace. These brave soldiers guarded respectfully the traditions of their ancestors, who, at the famous retreat of Meaux, had saved Charles the Ninth. But for my good friends the Swiss, said that prince, my life and liberty would have been in a bad way. What the Swiss of the sixteenth century had done for one king of France, the Swiss of the eighteenth century would have done for his successor. They would have saved Louis the Sixteenth if he would have let himself be saved. A major general who had remained at the Tuileries, judging that it was impossible to defend the courts with so few soldiers, cried, Gentlemen, retire to the palace. They had to leave six cannon in the power of the enemy and to abandon the courts. It would have been foreseen that it would be necessary to retake these under penalty of being burned in the palace. The common soldiers said so loudly. Meanwhile, they obeyed, and were disposed as well as time as the localities permitted. The stairs and windows were lined with soldiers. Account of Colonel Pfeiffer Daltischofen, published at Lucerne in 1819. One post occupied the chapel, another the vestibule and grand staircase. There were Swiss also at the windows, looking into the courts. Down with the Swiss, cried the Marseillais. Down, down, surrender. However, the struggle had not yet begun. Nearly fifteen minutes elapsed between the invasion of the royal court and the first shot. The Marseillais brandished their pikes and guns, but they were not confident, for at first they dared not cross the court more than halfway. The Swiss and National Guards who were at the windows made gestures to induce the populace to quiet down and go away. The throng of insurgents grew greater every minute. They had just got their cannon into battery against the Tuileries. 
what the swiss especially intended was to defend the grand staircase so as to prevent the apartments of the first floor from being invaded this staircase afterwards destroyed was in the middle of the vestibule of the horloge pavilion the chapel whose site was afterwards changed was on the level of the first landing and from this landing two symmetrical flights at right angles with the first led to the hall of the hundred swiss the future hall of the marshals westermann bolder than the other insurgents had advanced as far as the vestibule with several marseillais he began to parley with the soldiers trying to set them against their officers and induce them to lay down their arms sergeant blazer answered westermann we are swiss and the swiss only lay down their weapons with their lives the officers caused a barricade of pieces of wood to be raised on the first landing at the head of the stairs to prevent new deputations from coming to demoralize their men the marseillais attempted to take it by main force some of them were armed with halberds terminating in hooks these they thrust below the barricade trying to catch the men defending it they seized an adjutant in this way and disarmed him at the foot of the stairs they seized the first swiss entry and afterwards five others they lay hold of them with hooked pikes which they thrust into their coats and drew them forwards disarming them at once of their sabers guns and cartridge boxes amidst shouts of laughter encouraged by the success of this forlorn hope the whole crowd pressed towards the foot of the stairs and there massacred the five swiss already taken and disarmed monsieur peltier's relation then a pistol shot was heard from which side did it come was it the marseillais who provoked the combat was it the swiss who sought to avenge their comrades the sentries whoever it was this pistol shot was signal for the fight which began about half past 10 in the morning at first the swiss had the advantage every shot they fired from the windows told among the people crowding the courtyards were many who had not come to fight but through mere curiosity pale with fright they fled towards the carousel through the gates of the royal court which was strewn in an instant with guns pikes and cartridge boxes some of the insurgents fell flat on their faces and counterfeited death rising occasionally and gliding along the walls to gain the sentry boxes of the mounted sentinels as best they could even the majority of the cannoneers deserted their pieces and ran like the rest the courts were cleared in an instant two swiss officers monsieur de doulet and de pfeiffer instantly made a sortie at the head of 120 soldiers took four cannon and found themselves once more masters of the door of the royal court a detachment of 60 soldiers formed themselves into a hollow square before this door and kept up a rolling fire on the rioters remaining on the carousel until the place was completely swept at the same time on the side of the garden another detachment of swiss under count de sally seized three cannon and brought them to the palace gate napoleon who witnessed the combat from a distance says the swiss handled their artillery with vigor in 10 minutes the marseillais were chased as far as the rue de l'echelle and never came back until the swiss were withdrawn by the king's order it was now in fact that monsieur devilly arrived hatless and unarmed through the fusillade of grape they wanted to show him the dispositions they had just made on the garden side there is no question of that said he you must go to the assembly it is the king's order the unfortunate soldiers flattered themselves that they might still be of use yes brave swiss cried baron de viomesnil go and find the king your ancestors did so more than once
in spite of their chagrin at abandoning the field of which they had just become masters they obeyed their only thought was to repair to that assembly where a last humiliation awaited them the officers had the drums beat the call to arms and in spite of the rain of balls from every side they succeeded in marshalling the soldiers as if for a dress parade in front of the palace opposite the garden the signal for departure was given an unforeseen peril was reserved for these heroes the battalions of the national guard stationed at the door of the pont royal at that of the manege court and the beginning of the terrace of the feuillants had stood still with their weapons grounded since the affray began but hardly had the swiss entered the grand alley than these battalions neutral until now detailed a number of individuals who hid behind the trees and fired with their muzzles almost touching the troops on reaching the middle of the alley the swiss who hardly deigned to return this fire divided into two columns the first turning to the right under the trees went towards the staircase leading to the assembly from the terrace of the feuillants the second which followed at a short distance and acted as a rear guard went on as far as the place louis the fifteenth where it found the mounted gendarme if this body of cavalry had done its duty it would have united with the swiss but far from that it declared for the insurrection and savoured them it is said that the officers and soldiers killed in this retreat across the garden were interred at the foot of the famous chestnut whose exceptional forwardness had earned the surname of the tree of march twentieth thus the bonapartist tree of popular tradition owes its astonishing strength of vegetation solely to the human compost furnished by the corpses of the last defenders of royalty the first column that which was on its way to the assembly presented itself resolutely in front of the terrace of the feuillants which was full of people these took flight and the swiss entered the corridors of the assembly carried away by his zeal one of the officers baron de sally entered the hall with his naked sword in his hand the left uttered a cry of affright a deputy went out to order the commander baron de durlay to make his troop lay down their arms Monsieur de durlay having refused he was conducted to the king sire said he with sorrowful indignation they want me to lay down arms louis the sixteenth responded put them in the hands of the national guard i am not willing that brave men like you should perish to surrender arms did louis the sixteenth fully comprehend that for soldiers like these such an outrage was a hundred times worse than death the king's words were like a thunderbolt to them they wept with rage but said they even if we have no more cartridges we can still defend ourselves with our bayonets such devotion such courage such discipline such heroism to end like this and yet the unfortunate swiss though grieved to the heart resigned themselves to the last sacrifice their master required from their fidelity lay down their arms and were imprisoned in the ancient church of the feuillants to the number of about two hundred and fifty it was all that remained of this magnificent regiment the others had been killed in the garden or had their throats cut in the palace and the greater part of the survivors were to be assassinated in the massacres of september thus ended the french king's regiment of swiss guards like one of those sturdy oaks whose prolonged existence had affronted so many storms and which nothing but an earthquake can uproot it fell the very day on which the ancient french monarchy also fell it counted more than a century and a half of faithful services rendered to france to destroy this worthy corps 
a combination of unfortunate events had been required. It had been necessary to deprive the Swiss of their artillery, their ammunition, their staff, and the presence of the king, to enfeeble them five days before the combat by sending away a detachment of three hundred men, to forbid the two hundred men who accompanied the king to the assembly to fire a shot, to render useless the wise dispositions of messieurs de Maillardos and de Bachmann, by an ill-advised order at the moment of the attack, and to have Monsieur Devilly come at the moment of victory to divide and enfeeble the defence. Relation of Colonel Pfeiffer Dialtischofen The Swiss Republic has honoured the memory of these sons who died for a king. At the entrance of Lucerne, in the side of a rock, a grotto has been hollowed out, in which may be seen a colossal stone lion, the work of Thorvaldsen, the famous Danish sculptor. This lion, struck by a lance and lying down to die, holds tight within his claws the royal escutcheon upon a shield adorned with fleur-de-lis. Underneath the lion are engraved the names of the Swiss officers and soldiers who died between August 10th and September 2nd, 1792. Above it may be read this inscription cut in the rock, Helvetiorum Fidei Arc Viturti, to the fidelity and the courage of the Swiss. Louis the Sixteenth had to repent his weakness bitterly. The wretched monarch had at last reached the bottom of the abyss, where the slippery descent of concession ends, and for having been willing to spare the blood of a few criminals, he was to see that of his most loyal and faithful adherents shed in torrents. It is said that Napoleon, who witnessed the combat from a distance, cried several times in speaking of Louis the Sixteenth, "What then, wretched man?" Have you no cannon to sweep out this rabble? Behind the people of the 10th of August, the man of Brumaire already appeared as a conqueror. Work away, then, insurgents. This unknown young man, this straight-haired Corsican, hidden in the crowd, will be the master of you all. He will crush the revolution. He will make himself all-powerful in that palace of the Tuileries, where the riot is lording it at this moment and after him the brother of the king whom you insult today and will kill tomorrow the count de provence the emigre who is the object of your hatred will triumphantly enter the palace of his forefathers and each of them in his turn the corsican gentleman and the brother of louis the sixteenth will be received with the same transports in that fatal palace which is now red with the blood of the swiss how surprised these people would be if they could foresee what the future has in store for them among these frenzied demagogues, these ultra-revolutionists, these disheveled Marseillais with lips blackened by powder and jackets all blood, how many will be the fanatical admirers and soldiers of a Caesar? End of chapter 30 Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama